What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon trading card game's premier podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined by my good, good friend, J.W. Crewall. J.W., how are we doing today? Hey, I'm doing good, Riley. Thank you for asking. We just yesterday finished Avatar, The Last Airbender, on Netflix. And what a treat. Is that your first watch through of the show? It is. My wife was addicted the whole time. She was just like, she was, we went through it in like three days, but it was mostly just her staying up till like two in the morning watching, you know, (laughs) you know, major parts of the season. Wow. So yeah, I did find, you know, I watched, I watched the big thing. I watched enough to like understand the general plot, but there were like, like I, I knew none of the jet arc. Oh no. no. <laughs> so I was like so confused when this guy pulls up and you know all the characters have, you know, this relationship with him. I don't know. It was just it was pretty funny. <laughs> that is so, funny. Uh but yeah, that was that was the big excitement this week in the Crewall house. Very nice. Very nice. That show is definitely uh one for the ages. I think that was a, a phenomenally done show. One of my favorites yeah. growing up and it's still something that you can revisit and appreciate as a as a you know artistic medium and story well and they didn't overdo it three seasons worked out real nice didn't try to you know extend it for a long period of time just kind of fit nice and snug no it didn't overstay its welcome there's enough depth (laughs) to the characters but not being like they weren't trying too hard to just like keep it going you know keep it alive so i really appreciate it as a whole really great piece of art yeah for sure what's new with you riley I've just been working real hard, man. Working real hard. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in the, you know, employed world. But I'm trudging along. It's uh, it's a, taught me a lot of time management, to say the least. And um, but I think another important piece of that is knowing when to step away, especially when you're working from home, right? And like the line between your work and your personal life become increasingly blurred, especially you know now during like an epidemic when it's you're not really leaving as much in the first place so um the line gets increasingly blurred between your work hours and your home your relaxed Mm -hmm. hours and to me i think something that i've learned in the last couple weeks is you know knowing when it's just the limit for the day right and not forcing yourself and overworking yourself and being willing to say you know now it's time for you know to relax to be me um and a step away obviously if there's obligations like those come first but like yeah yeah of course but just to say you know you know what things need to be done you do those and then exactly just at the end of the day it's your time exactly exactly i think i think that's something that you can take into like all sorts of facets of life right it's like you need to be able to carve out like time for yourself and like have respect for yourself in that kind of way absolutely so uh jw and i were chatting before the podcast and we feel like there's a lot going on right now uh if you're unaware and we just feel the need to actually say something um granted jw and i are two white men (laughs) so you know we're not we're not qualified to speak to any details on these subjects and we're aware of that um but what we do want to say is you know tag team and our community and pokemon as a whole is something built upon inclusivity and that's something that we've harped on in many episodes now uh, and that obviously extends to not only people of color in general but specifically to the black community 
uh, which has been dealt a great deal of injustice over you know the course of American history. Uh, so we stand with you. Tag team is with you all the way. Our whole community is with you. Um, and personally, I'm going to be donating all of my Twitch earnings uh, for my most recent Twitch payout uh, to Black Lives Matter movements. So um, that's great. I just want yeah, well said, Riley. So I well don't said. I don't think we need to you know stick on it too long because we we aren't the platform to consume that information. But uh, I think in the description for the podcast this week, I'll include some links that you can check out if you want to you know dig further into that and find more ways to support those movements absolutely yeah i've been having these conversations with my wife a lot over the last couple days of what it means to have privilege and what it means to um raise up those that are in a different situation you know systemically or uh you know otherwise just that are in in low income situations or uh just are oppressed in in many of the various ways that one can be oppressed in america today and so uh, just it's good to have these conversations again like you said i'm not the most qualified i would point you and we will point you to many resources that you know you can uh, take advantage of to look at to educate yourselves and others and um, did just want to say that we are in full support of the various movements that are going on right now and uh, we wish the best uh, for our black brothers and sisters and we just we we stand with you in solidarity absolutely absolutely so again you know our community is strong i hope that you all reflect those values as well um, because i think we've built up a really inclusive positive community uh in tag team even within the niche of pokemon which is you know has that sort of element of being inclusive um stepping into the pokemon realm of things from there uh, there's been quite a bit going on in the Pokemon world as well. We've uh, we just came off our Limitless Qualifier for JW rocking with the Picarom in there, uh, the final Limitless Qualifier before their you know actual Invitational style event. So JW, walk us through the Picarom experience before we get into like the the actual winners of this tournament. <laughs> yeah, well, I was really confused the night before, as I feel like I always am, but. Uh, just really wanting to make a good showing in the last qualifier. I had kind of been, you know, I'm not, not going to put it all up to the luck, but just I had felt like in the last couple of qualifiers, like it just didn't quite go my way. And I was looking for a deck to play that was just ultra consistent, that I felt good about, and that had, you know, pretty good matchups against the field. And so I was really between Dragapult or Blacephalon the night before, and I was trying to figure out, you know, and I was going on it over on the stream and just playing both decks, and they really didn't call to me in any way. <laughs> and you were actually one of the ones that was just like, hey, you know what, play Picaram, like that deck is just so good. And I'm like, yes, you're right. The thing that I valued the most about Picaram was that I didn't really have unplayable hands when i was playing that deck i could always do something you know i was always attacking turn two i was always putting some amount of pressure on and i felt that that wasn't quite what i was getting with the blacephalon deck and in a lot of cases the dragapult deck was just falling a little bit short in certain matchups and so i was like okay you know what i'm gonna go with just the most consistent deck that i know a deck that i've played in the past to success and uh, a deck that I just expect to be a solid call for the tournament. Nothing very, you know, spooky in terms of the 
metagaming. You know, I wasn't trying to go for anything unique or, or, or unheard of, but uh, the Picaram list I felt was very strong. Um, and I'll go over just the rounds very quickly so people know. But uh, round one, I lost to a Dustox deck, which <laughs> just wasn't the way that you want to start the tournament. We had, it was just so close. Like we had, we got it down to the last prize and we were looking for our Mallow and Lana and it just didn't happen for us. And it's like, you know what? That's how it goes. Like if we get that Mallow and Lana, like we were fine, but we don't <laughs> and we lose. And then the second round we had a DQ or the, the opponent didn't show up. So he was uh, eliminated from the tournament. That was a W. We beat a Blounds deck, which I knew going in was a pretty unfavorable matchup. And I figured, okay, if I hit two and one dead draws, then that's kind of where I want to sit with that matchup. And so we did hit one in round three. They did end up dead drawing, took the win there. Round four, we played Dragapult. And I would say that this was the one favorable matchup on the day. Like if I could have played all my rounds against Dragapult as the Picaron player, I figured I would have made day two. And so I was looking for the Dragapult decks for sure. That felt like a very solid, um, winnable, favorable matchup. Round five, we played Picaram. We won. Uh, round six, we docked a Spirit Tomb, another deck that I was really concerned about heading into the day, but didn't figure that I would see too many. And again, it was kind of like the Blacephalon, like maybe we'll see two. Maybe if we can dock one, then we'll be living large you know we'll, we'll come out of that and, and feel like we were successful and then round eight after the lunch break so i'm sitting at what five and two at this point mm -hmm. round eight played against a blacephalon ended up losing that one round nine peak around was a dub and i'm feeling great you know uh <laughs> sitting at seven and three um but then we faced another peak around that got an unbelievable turn one <laughs> it was just like the funkiest turn one they had four energy switching cards and they used like three of them or something it was just very bizarre how they got their turn one <laughs> ended up doing it and really in that peek around mirror it's like if you if you get the first turn full blitz you're just in the driver's seat for the whole game and then ended up losing another one to blacephalon around 11 so i just felt like the matchups weren't really favorable for me hitting three blacephalon we did come away with a win against one of them that we donked, but uh, especially, you know, the, the two spirit tomb, we could have easily lost both of those really felt like I only had the one matchup that was, that was extreme uh, favorable in the drag pull deck. And then, you know, got uh, the, the positive side of variance in the peak ROM, but overall six and five ended up stopping there and not a great day. I still feel very strongly about the deck choice. It was the most, popular deck in day two of the limitless qualifier number four and so i can't really hate on the list or the choice that i made for the event but like all three that i was kind of deciding between at the last moment were good but in the end i just couldn't get there with the peak around deck yeah and peak around even taking that a step further was the most popular deck in the top 16 as well getting a huge amount of representation relative to some of the other decks so you know, I don't think you made a mistake in your choice, and, and that's part partway me standing my ground as well. That I think Pikaram was a was a good choice yeah. for this event. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, so the story goes, like, you know, only so many Pikarams can get the good side of the variance and make it all the way there, though, right? That's right. You know, there that's has to right. be some Pikaram that that dies for the sins of the ones ahead of them. That's right. <laughs> and so that was you this time. 
That was definitely me, for sure. <laughs> I definitely fell on the sword. <laughs> so let's talk about how the tournament actually panned out. So yeah. at the very top, we had a mirror match between Azul yeah. and uh, a player from Japan whose name is escaping me right now. Um, it is Takedo Seki. Yep, exactly. And so Takedo and Azul both rocking the combo Zashin deck. And this mm-hmm. was a deck that was kind of a known quantity through the entire Rebel Clash format, but only really making an appearance, at least in in the ways that it has now, at this tournament. So, you know, my, myself, I I kind of underrated, I think, combo Zashin. JW, I don't know if you feel similarly. Absolutely. But... Uh, to me, I think what sticks out about it, and I think this is something that you'll hear in like commentary of these matches and uh, amongst players who evaluate this deck, is Combo Zashin really uh, takes advantage of probably what's the strongest card that they've printed in a long time, and that's the Scoop Up Net. And yeah. I don't think any any deck really utilizes that card as well as Combo Zashin. Uh, you right. can maybe make some arguments, but I think I think when it comes down to it, like as far as has a high raw power level and then it's further supplanted by being able to very effectively use the scoop up net card uh, and that yeah. being to get your jirachi combo off multiple times or to get some insane like jirachi plays it's just generally a consistency card so and to me i guess that was something i just undervalued i thought the damage output would be too low uh, and clearly yeah. that, that was not the case uh, gw what what are your thoughts on the combos option deck <laughs> Well, I think that first off, I I think it's very very strong. After playing with the the polished lists, I've seen the power of the deck in that it can really take a solid matchup to almost anything if it does. You know, assuming it draws the things it needs, but it has that built-in consistency with Sasha, and so it it usually does. Um, I think for me, what led me to believe it maybe wasn't quite the right deck choice for a tournament like this would be that it's awfully fragile in a way. And what I mean by this is that you generally set up like one Zashin on the board at any one time. There are times where you can get two down. I mean, that that obviously uh, happens. But a lot of the times I find myself with just one Zashin on the board, powered up, you know, attacking but then I have to save my bench slots for all the support Pokemon that I need to take that extra prize. And so it leaves you in these very uncomfortable situations where you could get Marnied or reset stamped um, and then just kind of not be able to pull the pieces together to get another Zashin going to take the final attacks. Uh, And that's where I was kind of heading into the tournament, just kind of not feeling that the deck had the strength um, to go the distance. I think there were some innovations that I saw from Azul's list and Takeda's list that were very, very cool and added a lot to the deck that I really hadn't seen before. But overall, it is, in my opinion, the strongest deck of this format, just like ADP was the strongest deck of last format for just being able to put your opponent on a turn clock. This does the exact same thing, just in a different way and a slightly faster way making it that much better and the prize trade is a lot better than adp where you could take down a three prize pokemon and then just snipe off you know a jirachi as well as a dedenerization like this one you pretty much have to go through 
threeization. If you just add up the total hit points, uh, there's a significant difference there in terms of you know the meat that you have to go through as the opposing deck to take your uh, six prizes. Yeah, and I think uh, I think you kind of hit on a lot of the things that that I would say and agree with. Uh, for me, I the damage output was initially off-putting because I thought that there would be more of a tag team centric meta. I suppose I thought Mewtwo would still be you know a viable option. I thought. Uh, like these ADP decks would still be a factor. I thought, you know, the damage versus Picaram would be a, a relevant number. Uh, but yeah. it, what I think ended up happening is uh, as the meta has shifted in a way that, you know, now Dragapult's a favored deck and, uh, you know, even Picaram, like, you can still find that pretty clear routes to win. Uh, and then in Zashin Mirrors, like, there's no reason to really power up an ADP and waste two turns when you could be aggressing on turn two or even turn one uh, if you happen yeah. to have an explosive enough start. And I think that's the that's the factor that I underestimated. Uh, and I think even damage output aside, you you have such a an advantage in terms of aggression, right? Like you were able to do so much so quickly as opposed to having to spend at least one turn using altered creation. You know, if you happen to do some energy right. switch craziness, that's still a turn where you're right. doing our you know our infamous catchphrase of like sticking an ADP in the active and hoping it doesn't die. There you go. <laughs> I, yeah. And you know granted I think ADP is less likely to die instantly now than it was then. Um but I I think the flip side of that is like there's still a, there's now guaranteed gust with boss's orders which <laughs> was basically lacking besides great catcher before. Um you have a lot of sniping now. You have Dragapult and the damage output becomes less relevant because you're either dealing with very squishy decks that you'll one-shot anyway, or very yeah. tanky decks that you won't one-shot anyway. Yeah, the I mean, it's just, it's, it's really a very cool case study in prize trading where the Zashin deck, you're right, there are decks that, you know, Picaram is a great example. It doesn't one-shot a Picaram, but it doesn't necessarily need to because the way that Picaram is constructed it really relies on having the support Pokemon like Dedenne and like the uh, and like um, uh, the Zeraora, right, to just facilitate their strategy. And so you could literally win in two turns against that deck most of the time. You know, assuming that they play a Dedenne and a, or two Dedenne and uh, a Zeraora in you know whatever combination there. Uh, you could literally win the game without ever attacking into their main attackers. And that to me is just the, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a massive strength of the deck. It's a massive strength of the deck where you can just, you can scoot around whatever they're trying to set up. And then the other thing too is like you look at Blacephalon. Well, you have the perfect counter to a Blacephalon deck with your Tapu Fini that does exactly the same thing. And then you're forcing them to hit into a one prizer, thereby forcing them to take seven prizes. And that's more than enough time to get all your stuff set up. And then you look at a deck like Spear Tomb, same kind of idea. Of course, you struggle a little bit more because they do have that one shot potential. Um, and then Dragapult, I mean, you're just trading. You know, you're trading two shots, but your two shot gives you four prizes and their two shot gives you uh, two, right? And so it's just a very interesting case study, like I said, yeah. in that prize trading and kind of setting your board position so that you can take advantage of 
the just Pokemon that your opponent has out. It doesn't even have to be their main attacker. Like just sniping their bench for two prizes or three prizes or whatever. You can go around their main strategy entirely and still win the game, which is wild. Yeah, and I, I would say even taking that further, like against decks such as Picaromp, the prize trade works out in such a way where you can actually afford to two-shot one of the tag teams because then once you get that one shot on the Dedene for the extra prize, that's still game, you know? Yeah. And that's three attacks where Picaram, basically it's impossible for Picaram to Oko you three times. And so right. you have that advantage where you can tank one hit from Picaram, KO the Picaram, or, you know, where, tank the hit wherever in that process that is, and then KO one right. support Pokemon. So it's just, right. it builds up a lot of really interesting scenarios. And I think that's a that's a cool way to phrase it it's like it's an interesting case study into how prize trade factors into like a deck's viability and so i definitely recommend picking this deck up uh it's very strong it has solidified itself as one of the best decks in the format if not the best deck in the format and it's super fun to play and i'll even say this i think it's a it's a good deck to to learn the game on because it teaches you a lot about sequencing sure. and about prize trade and, and about sure. you know sure. what things and you one of the things yeah one of the things that I've been seeing too on the ladder is just that A, people don't know how to play and B, people don't know how to play against it. I think those are both very, very, um, you know, just important things to know. Like resource conservation is very important with the deck, right? If you only have one scoop of net left, you really need to decide, you know, what you're going to use it on, assuming, you know, it's various factors. Um, if you end up discarding a Mr. Mime early, which is very reasonable to do, then maybe you have to scoop up your Mime that you had already played down or something like this. I mean, there's just a lot of little intricacies to the deck that are very cool that I think a lot of players would miss on the first go round and that I've definitely seen players miss on the first go round uh, when I've been playing them on the little ladder. So really interesting deck. I think moving on to some of the other decks that were very viable, Picaram, uh, Blacephalon was somewhat viable. And I think Dragapult was just a very strong choice for the metagame. We also saw a uh, an ultimate Mewtwo by, uh, piloted by Ilya Kornilov get sixth place, which was pretty wild. And then, a deck that I'm not very excited about, but did perform fairly well as the Spirit Tomb deck. I was not really excited about the Dragapult matchup um, and just kind of the the one priziness and I, there's uh, the inconsistencies. There's a few reasons that I don't love Dragapult or um, Spirit Tomb, but it did pretty well overall uh, on the day there in Wildfire Four. Yeah, I, I think, uh, and a lot of these decks are ones that we've discussed and. You can check back on some of our recent episodes to see our more in-depth opinion on these. I think the the only thing that really sticks out to me is something maybe worth calling out is uh, the the crushing hammers build of Dragapult kind of moving into the spotlight as the premier way to play the deck. Uh, as someone JW who plays a lot of Dragapult and is very fond of the deck, what are your thoughts on this build? Well, that was what I was going to play heading into the evening. Like after I had finished stream and I had to try to make this choice between, well, do I play both Cephalon or do I play Dragapult? I was really leaning towards Dragapult and just thinking that the Crushing Hammers were very viable, particularly for the Mirror. I would say that's the most important uh, matchup that you need the Hammers for, but also against ADP, you know, if if you ever face that deck. And then it does have some pretty solid viability against the Zacian deck. 
right? Yeah. Um, and so, and, and I guess some limited use in Pikaram, but they just accelerate and get energy back in a, in a pretty insane way. But um, yeah, it, it was really important, I think, for the deck because you just need to slow your opponents down to your speed. If you can do that, then you have a pretty solid chance. And that's why I think the stamp plant combo, like we were talking about last week, is very strong for the deck, just because at the late game, you know, you've already fed them a few prizes probably at this point, but if you can stamp plant them into the right hand or their wrong hand, then you can usually overcome them with picking off their pivots and uh, just hitting into their main attacker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was cool to see that build see success. Uh, Katron obviously played the Zamazenta V, which if you are out of the loop on that, that was that was a joke. It was a bet amongst his friends. So if you see that and wonder why it's there, it's not some mysterious like mirror attack or anything like that. It, it is just a joke. <laughs> so, cool. Yeah, I think Lilith, thank you so much for these events. These were awesome. I I really hope that we get to see more events on this scale uh, going into the future in Pokemon. Even when events start happening again in real life, I would love to see more stuff like this. Yeah, and I think there have been a lot of grassroots tournaments that have popped up as the Limitless has kind of proven itself to work and that there would be interest in online tournaments. I think we're starting to see as well, or, or, or consistently have been seeing over the last month, just these other grassroots tournaments that are drawing pretty viable crowds for uh, people that just want to play the game more. And so that's really exciting and encouraging that our game is, I, I don't know if I, I, I mean, uh, yeah, you know what, let's just say it. our game is thriving even in this COVID-19 crisis. And that's very, very encouraging to see. It, it really is. It really is. And so I think that's a great segue then into our next topic which is the players cup uh, i know there's been a lot of swirl around the players cup and yep. you know what it represents and we talked about this lightly last week uh, and you know the, the systems that go into play here um, yeah so i think let's start at the highest level um azul recently posted a video going over some of his grievances with the players cup and i think it resonated with a lot of people as far as the points that he was trying to drive home. And I think since then, there's even been more things that have come up. Um, the first one being the ticket threshold. And this is something that we talked about just last week, and we wished it didn't work out the way that it did. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was hopeful. You know, I was looking at some of the other things that have happened in online tournaments or even happen within the umbrella of Pokemon as a whole. And I was saying, okay, uh, Pokemon trading card game has historically been pretty late with their information. I would say that uh, no one would really disagree that they kind of tend to either parcel out things or wait until, you know, very late in the game to announce big changes or big updates or things like this. And so I was, last week very hopeful that something would come out or that the system would just be updated without us knowing where it would say okay you can participate in you know x number of tournaments a day that's all you get you know maybe put a cap on it and then everyone gets you know free entry or you know their 10 tickets a day or whatever it is making it so that the playing field is even for everyone obviously that didn't happen and it's 
now we're trying to figure out where do we go and what does this tournament even mean if not everyone has an equal chance to participate in it. And I think, like you said, Azul did a very nice job, I, uh, albeit a bit harsh for my taste, but he did, he did a nice job of kind of crystallizing and, and formulating a lot of the opinions that a lot of players had. And I think since his videos come out, I feel like there's been a stronger emotional discussion about what it means to play in a, an event like this. And it's, I, I mean, it, it's missed the mark. Now that we know the full extent, it's definitely missed the mark yeah. of where a tournament like this should be and, and could be. Yeah. So to go over kind of what that looks like for the viewers who might not be necessarily in the loop as far as the Players' Cup, uh, Pokemon is going to be compiling the top X amount of players per region in America is the top 256 on tournament rep, which is a relatively arbitrary score based on your performance in TCG online tournaments. Uh, just those little events that you get through the event tab when you hit play. Um, and the flaw of this comes in how you enter those tournaments in the first place. The tournaments give tradable packs as prizes, and so your entry is gated to those tournaments because uh, that's kind of your way to recoup like real real packs as opposed to like store-bought ones in the game and, so there's a huge incentive to play in them when a new set releases right and so you're incentivized to play in them but they your entry is limited you know by those tickets that you get and tickets are relatively hard to get uh, at least compared to some of the other resources you might get in the game like coins uh it costs actually eight tickets to enter a tournament, which is a substantial amount. And to actually climb this leaderboard, because it's only based on your total number of entries for the most part, um, even if you lose immediately in the tournament, you get tournament rep. The whole system of ranking is basically based on how many tournaments you play. And granted, you accelerate your climb through the leaderboard by performing well, but you could have... You know, you could just as effectively, if you have eight times as many tickets, just immediately drop out of every single tournament and get as many as people who did first in, you know, that many tournaments as well. Um, right. So the whole system is just kind of messed up. It's very much gated because a lot of players have expended their tickets doing just normal in-game activity with no prior knowledge. Um, I... You know, JW and other streamers like to participate in tournaments as well, just as a means to connect with their viewers. Uh, I myself like to use the tournaments as a means to get new packs. Uh, I actually do have a decent stockpile right now, but that's besides the point. Uh, Caleb Gettimer participated in a ton of tournaments. He used like 600 tickets, so that way he could acquire like legacy collection stuff, which is like a niche format in TCGO. It's just, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, it, so there's not like a great path to fixing it from here either, because now we're deep enough in, you know, granted it's only a couple of days, but we're in the midst of it now. And so you can't just change the rules now. <laughs> right. That's the biggest issue is that I just, I wonder if, if anything would have been said, if it would have changed it, because I think now we're seeing that a lot of opinions are coming out and a lot of people are, very openly saying that they despise 
the way that the tournament is being run right now. And I wonder if, you know, probably not, probably not, but I wonder if, you know, more harsher criticism was said that things might've been different. Although I think there was, I mean, I, I think there was enough warning, right? I think there was enough warning coming from, uh, you know, the, the, higher ups in, in the content creation game to kind of say, whoa, there, you know, Pokemon, maybe this should be thought out a little bit differently. You know, here's some ideas that you can uh, take from us as to what we'd like to see, but you know, it didn't happen. I think a lot of people are going to be upset and there's just going to be a lot of gatekeeping. Like you said, it's just uh, sad for a company that does, you know, promote this inclusivity and this kind of togetherness, you know, we're all in this together that, People just literally, there are many, many, many top tier players that ha- will will have no prayer to make it into this, you know, tournament. This the hope I what I would hope that they view is prestigious. They just have no way to get in. Yeah, and even digging deeper into it, uh, people were looking at the systems that are used on these leaderboards. And there's a huge amount of countries that are just excluded from being able to participate in this leaderboard, particularly in the Oceania regions. Uh, countries right. such as you know Malaysia and Singapore just aren't on the leaderboards, and they are specifically excluded. And you know, granted, my interpretation of that is it probably has something to do with like you know online gaming laws or restrictions. I don't know for sure, um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, even. A- even if someone in Malaysia had infinite time to acquire all the tickets in the world, you know, they started from zero tickets, but just grinded their way into a million of them. They still couldn't make it into the tournament, <laughs> no matter what they did. It's a, uh, it's absurd. You know, it's, it's tough and it makes it demoralizing the play because like, there's obviously a great reward on the line with the travel reward. That's, basically the most prestigious award that you can get in Pokemon as far as like getting those stipends to events and not just the stipend, but the full trip. Um, Sure. And, but what's the point? Like, what is the actual competitive value of this tournament? If, if so many people are kept out playing, (laughs) it'll be very interesting to see how this progresses. But uh, like we said, the competitive player base is really soured on, the tournament as a whole and i i'm generally not going to be as negative as as some and and not i mean and that's i hope that's not feeling like people are being thrown under the bus when i say that negative but i mean i just generally like to think that um pokemon i want to hope that there was some reason that it came out like this uh i want to hope that there was something that prevented them from doing it another way or from implementing the systems that they needed to. Um, I, I appreciate the idea and the concept. I really do. I think that in all of this, that aspect is being undercut a little bit by kind of the missteps that have been made. But I, I do really appreciate Pokemon for putting this event on. I wish it was different. Yeah. And going back to your point about the underlying concepts, I, I think you're right. Like, having an online tournament is a fantastic idea and we've seen it done to great success just in the last month (laughs) you know uh so where's the disconnect i think it lives in 
Pokemon is using an outdated structure on their client. This is something we've covered, and it feels like a dozen episodes now, at least a half dozen. Um, you know, the TCGO client needs some revamping. They're sticking themselves in this system that just isn't compatible with the modern structure of how a trading card game should look on an online client. And uh, it it's ultimately limiting them long term. I think so. I think so. It would be... I don't know if there's any way we could study this, but just it would be interesting to know kind of the retention rate of players in this time because they had just uh, you know you you never want to say that that with this this crisis this this uh, health crisis that it would be a golden opportunity for for improvement, but um, it does feel that way in a sense. I I just wonder how many more people could have been involved with the game and how many more like new faces we maybe could have engaged through this online uh series that maybe transition over into in real life playing that we just never would have known about before i do think that there are going to be those people that we just have never heard about before and they're going to show up in top you know in the top four right because they're good players and they had a ton of tournament tickets but they never went to like a regionals or anything like that they never played cards in real life. They just always play the ladder. I think we're going to find some of those people out there. Um, that'll be kind of interesting. You know, I'm personally excited to, you know, see those people. That would be kind of funny <laughs> if, you know, some person we've literally never heard of just wins the whole thing. That would be um, pretty interesting and kind of cool and, and you know, certainly would be a story. But, yeah, it, it's um, just a, a few a few little missteps that I think are preventing us from really truly grasping onto it as a community and and, and taking it for um for the successful event it, it could have been right and so what I, what I hope is the takeaway from this both for the listeners and you know Pokemon company is that you know we have online tournaments are something that we can do and that the community clearly desires and I think that expands beyond a world health crisis I think online structured events would be something that would get a lot of attention regardless of if people were self-quarantining i i truly believe that um and so how can we as a not only as a community but you know how can pokemon take a look at what has been done reflect on that and build upon it in the future and maybe for pokemon that involves like an actual structure being put in place uh, on their client and you know if they're hesitant to to you know run a large-scale tournament without the structure in place on the client that's just something that needs to happen and that's a roadblock that they need to overcome um, but regardless like what steps need to be taken to move into an actual competitive online realm and you know to me that that looks like having a rank flatter that looks like having actual tournaments that you can build out and run inside the client and I hope that this is the wake-up call, that this is something the community really wants and would, yeah. you know, and not just as something that we're interested in, but would certainly make Pokemon lots of money because certainly more people would be interested in participating in the online client. <laughs> That's right. I mean, there, there are ways to do it. I mean, I just look at, with all my time that I've invested in Pokemon Go, and just to say, like, how cool would it be to have an in-app purchase area um i know that wouldn't that also would not be the way i would want to go with it but just to provide an example of a case where you know they have an in-app purchase system that clearly um 
you know, transcends like the, the, the product that they're putting out, like it's clearly bigger, uh, makes them just, just a lot of, uh, of money there. And how cool would it be to have something like that in our game? And how cool would it be to have just these other systems that Pokemon has implemented throughout their branding, throughout their umbrella? And hopefully we'll get that. I mean, we've been praying for this years. I've played this game for 10 years and I am still waiting for some of these they seem like the minorest things. <laughs> I am pleading with Pokemon, please help us as players, help us as content creators. Um, I have still faith. I still have faith. I believe in you, Pokemon. <laughs> I believe in you. I believe you want to help us. I believe you love us. Um, but every year, it just feels like one thing after the other, you know, I can just go back through the years where oh, I've been no. failed. And oh, no. this is the latest example, but I still love Pokemon. Really. I still <laughs> love the company, still love everything. I just, I just wish it was a little better. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree, man. I, I've been a little less interested in TCGO lately compared to normal. And I feel like if there was just a ranked ladder that I could grind <laughs> and see myself at the top of the ladder, I would be playing so much. It would be insane. I would be so hype about that. Yeah, it's just... I would, I would play that nonstop. I would yeah, play that for I would just be like, playing all day. <laughs> the game would just be so fun if I could see that I was better than you, right? Actually, though, right? Like, <laughs> being able to climb is such a, a fun experience. That's what... That's at the core of what makes so many of these online games so successful, right? Is they not even the online games, bro? Like, look at the look at the the handheld game, like the Game Boy game, bro. Like, you're trying to be the champ. That's the whole driving storyline <laughs> of every Pokemon game. Like, you can't finish a game unless you're the champ. <laughs> so please, so true. Give us that. So true. Yeah, I don't. I feel like we cannot possibly emphasize enough how much we want to see the online experience for Pokemon Trading Card Game be better. Um, it's something I'm certainly passionate about. JW is passionate about. I think all content creators are probably passionate about this because it's literally a huge facet of our lives. It's just playing this game. So <laughs> there's some chaos going on with the hand. I think. Oh yeah, I don't know. Somebody. Somebody just did something crazy. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, we we still love the game, but we would love to see it be better and love it more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We Exactly. That That's well put. We love the game. You know, great game. Uh, Mechanics-wise, for sure. Um, generally, you know, we're just... Uh, we're happy that there... Or at least I'm happy. I generally take that positive attitude. Like, I'm happy that there's something that we can use. But... Um, always going to be ways for improvement uh and i think that just holds true just generally speaking like in my personal life like i'm happy where i'm at i can always be better and so yeah um hoping that that it gets better and uh hoping that we can just have these dialogues and, and maybe someone will listen and um maybe we'll get the change that we would like to see absolutely so i think we've covered a huge variety of topics we've talked about decks we've talked about the players cup and its flaws uh personally i think you can kind of just play whatever you want if you're in the players cup just have fun with it uh i think it's more about the quantity than the quality of the events that you play in so uh if if i had to make any recommendation i would just say pick a deck that can win relatively quickly uh, you know yeah so yeah there you go 
so that's all that's really all i have as far as recommendations uh we would love to open the floor to you all if you have a couple questions that you'd like to pose before we wrap up for the day um I think there's a lot of interesting discussion that we've had so far, and if anyone wants to expand on any of that, we'd love chat to, to call some of that out. Um, Pepsi fan was talking about when I was uh, discussing Pikaram about adding anything for the Blondes matchup or just take it as a rough matchup. And yeah, I was playing a few games the night before quarter four with Andrew Mahone, and we were playing the Blondes against Pikaram matchup and it just felt almost as as irredeemable of a matchup as one could face and I mean the the closest thing you could come to a tech for that matchup that has been played in the past is like an Absol but that doesn't quite work if the Blacephalon player doesn't play scoop uh, doesn't play the escape board instead just plays scoop up nets which I think a lot have trended towards now and so that just completely nullifies the absol play um and then if they play a you know and then the blondes can just hard tech for picaron by just playing a mew and then that just really <laughs> ensures the victory i mean you can do other things i suppose like multiple feenies multiple tapu feeny but even at that point like all they really need is one great catcher i feel like and they can swing the prize trade so uh, it's definitely a rough matchup. You really just have to hope that they dead draw for that one. Yeah, for sure. DM Murdoch says, would love to hear your thoughts on the BDF and why you think that is. Well, what do you think, Riley? I, I think there's a couple decks that are clearly more powerful than the rest. Um, I think the Zashin combo deck, I don't want to necessarily say it's the BDF in such a way that's like clearly better than every other deck. Um, but I think that deck is insane. I, I would put it, put that deck, Picaram, and maybe Dragapult in like that one tier of the best decks. Uh, I think JW might lean a little more towards Zacian being like the actual best. Um, I'm a little more nebulous on my choice right now. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that the Zacian combo deck, from just what I've seen of it, um, from the Limitless Qualifier, and then everything that I've played with it, it's just felt very consistent. I mean, I think we talked about last week the intangibles of a deck like Dragapult, and I think Zashin has those intangibles as well. Just the things of uh, being able to accelerate the prize trade. You know, you, you only need two turns to win against certain decks, which is just kind of wild. Like, you only need two attacks to win. If they drop a Dedenne and they have a, you know, a V or something that you can kill or, you know, whatever it is, like, you only need two turns. That's insane. Uh, it has that kind of raw draw power that's really nice to see that, you know, obviously ADPization decks had in the past, but just is, is you know, kind of almost amplified more here in this case. Um, and it just has exact numbers on certain things. You know, it has enough damage, enough numbers for the right price that it all works together in harmony to form this really, really strong. I wouldn't say that it's, that it's you know, uh, head and shoulders above the way that ADP was in past formats. But I would say that it is the S tier deck that is, it's, in my opinion, you know, very difficult to counter unless you're playing a straight fire deck or something like Obstagoon, which are just like bad against a lot of every of other things and only really good against that one deck. And then those can be countered too by, you know, metal frying pan and, and things like that. But, um, 
you know, it, it's just so impossible to counter from my perspective. Um, and then Picaram, Blacephalon, and Dragapult kind of occupy that tier one uh, metagame that, you know, have a decent shot against the Zacian deck, but are all kind of struggling with, you know, each other in the tiers lower to, um, you know, to succeed in a tournament. For sure. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to put it. Uh, Cashman asking if there's any point of going the ADP Zacian route when the Zacian Jirachi has been proven so effective. I think uh, we touched on this a lot earlier. I think to, to delve into more specifics, uh, the Jirachi route is just so streamlined and consistent and more aggressive, and I think that's going to benefit it more in this meta than the ADP effect necessarily will. Uh, the only case I could see like ADP really serving you well is if you're in like Mewtwo heavy metas or something where you know getting that 270 will just win you the game sure sure i mean just think about the prize exchanges though with adp you you have to wait four turns i mean sometimes you can get an energy switch like combo off but with adp generally traditionally you know you're waiting four turns right you have your first turn attachment your second turn attachment and attack and then presumably two attacks to finish the game, but sometimes that gets really awkward if they have a one prize attacker. On average, you know, you're spending like four turns, uh, and then potentially more depending on what your opponent can bring up. Yeah. But then with the Zacian deck, you have, like I said, that that two you could you could literally win the game in two attacks. Uh, <laughs> two, turns. Is, two turns. Yeah, two turns. Right, two turns. Uh, and so that is just where that um, that differs, right? The two decks differ in that. One, it is very consistent with that four-turn clock, but the other one has the potential to do it in two turns, what ADP could do in four. Right, right. And, and, and the point that I would just keep coming back to is, like, the what made ADP really work was it cleaned up the math on the tag teams, and I, that isn't as necessary in the current metagame. Yeah, and that's a good point, too. You're looking at the metagame right now, and the VMAXs are just out of range ADP or not, they're just out of range. So that makes that math kind of negligible. You have things like Picaram, which that's maybe your one where you wish that you had an ADP attack, but not super necessary because they play those Zeroors and those Dedenes on the bench, thereby making it so you can gust around their main attacker. And then you have the rise of the non-GX attackers. So things like Spiritomb, things like Blacephalon, really kind of round out the upper tier decks uh viable decks in this format and so those are just it you know you're you're one-shotting them with a very average amount of damage anyway that you get by with having the 220 and actually i would say against those decks it's probably better to have the combo because you're not going to have to spend two turns preparing which is exactly what the one prize decks want (laughs) right right because they also sometimes uh, need those extra turns to prepare, especially uh, like Baby Blacephalon. I, I like against Baby Blacephalon in particular. You have a pretty clear route where you can combo twice and then KO Oracorio, and you win. Yeah. And that's yeah. as fast or faster than they can win the game. Right. We got a Steven says, yep. "Hey guys, I've been lurking in the background while cleaning dishes." Well, I'm glad you are a very sanitary <laughs> man, Steven. Uh, just wondering if either of you can give any hope to stage twos becoming more viable anytime soon. Played some myself recently, and while lots of fun, they just get bodied. And I would say the viable stage two right now is Obstagoon. 
I don't see that there being too many others. I think there are some rogue concepts, things like Dust Ox. I mean, Dust Ox is a stage two that has very, very limited viability, but uh, just there aren't enough stage twos that can achieve any sort of like massive pressure on the opponent. Uh, you could look to something like a Chandelure deck, but unfortunately, again, you're, you're plagued by these inconsistency issues uh, in the stage two. And so Obstagoon only really works because it puts on such a hard lock against certain decks that that just immediately makes it viable. Um, and then, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't really seen many stage twos work out that well. We have Grimmsnarl in the chat here. <laughs> um, things like Dragapult, the non-VMAX I've seen on the ladder doesn't really feel that great. But uh, Riley, maybe you have more thoughts on stage twos. I think stage twos are in a, honestly a pretty bad spot right now. Uh, there's just like not a not a ton going for them, right? Like they they have kind of low hp honestly they're relatively will have expensive attack costs and are hard to set up uh it's unfortunate i think the most recent time when stage twos had any sort of metagame presence was either like in the nine tails decks in lost thunder or in you know the early sun and moon days when you have like guard of our gx and decidui gx yeah. running the show uh, yeah. i think without giving stage twos like an equalizer and power level and i think obstagoon is probably the closest thing to that where it, it like hard locks decks without giving it something like that stage twos unfortunately i just don't think are, are viable um with the way that the game is currently built and played yeah so it's it's unfortunate i think to with the level of effort it takes to get out of stage two you have to really be able to break the game when you get it out yeah, it has to do something very strong um, for it to matter. And so when will they be viable? I mean, we're, we're, we are looking ahead to, uh, you know, at, at some point in the future, like a rotation where we will lose a significant amount of these, you know, just in, insanely strong basic attackers. And so perhaps as the format shifts more towards these VMAXs that also are evolutions that also afford your deck, you know, a turn or two to set up as well. Maybe then the stage twos will be more viable. Right. And I, I think Pokemon, you know, I think generally basics will always be the resounding decks with the way that, you know, the game is built right now and like designed. Um, I think Pokemon tends to shift around, you know, our stage ones viable at, attacking options are stage twos even playable yeah. <laughs> I, yeah i think we're kind of in an era right now where stage ones are are like the premier or what the what pokemon is gearing towards being the premier way to play like tag teams were definitely a, a move towards basics v maxes are a move towards stage one esque things yeah and i mean may and it might be some grand you know strategy that we just don't quite know yet because i mean we are seeing very very viable evolutions in the form of vmaxes and so it might be something where we've gone from this basic meta to this you know potential stage one meta to potentially you know a stage two uh focused metagame in just the card design 
that I'm, I'm not, you know, I have no inside information on this, but just, you know, if you kind of look historically, it's like the VMAXs will take over at some point, you know, they, they're already almost arguably taken over at this point uh, in the form of Dragapult VMAX just being a very high tier deck. And so, um, you know, just looking into the future, I, I would expect things to come back around because we've had in the past, you know, where stage twos were like almost the only decks that you could play and then moving into a basic meta and, and so on and so forth with like SPs, I would say it was the real kind of turning point where it was stage twos and Guard of Orgallate against the SP stuff and and then, you know, moving on from that and now it's basic and then we stage ones and then maybe in the future stage twos. So hoping that they come back. Yeah, I would love to see stage twos have have their next heyday. I, I think they deserve it. <laughs> To me, yeah. to me, like the stage one and twos are more representative, I guess, of like what Pokemon is than just having big basics ram at each other. You sure. know, because like evolution, man, it's like it's Pokemon. <laughs> That's right. But so true. You know, unfortunately, we don't have a hand in the designer pool to be able to say that. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, everyone. This has been an awesome episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate every single one of you. Uh, be sure to check out some of the movements that we will be linking in the description of the podcast and the YouTube video. Uh, so that way you can continue to contribute in positive ways to our communities. Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Peace. See ya.